0: Welcome to Radio 1's For The Culture Podcast, the history of black music. In this episode, Radio 1 personalities Melanie Pratt, Sheila Bell, and Melissa Wade will take you through a candid look back at the history of gospel music. From Thomas Dorsey and the Caravans to the evolution of gospel music by the Hawkins family and Andre Crouch. The trio will head over to Motown with the Winans and Clark sisters through today's gospel greats like John P. Key, Kirk Franklin, Donnie McClurkin, hezekiah walker mary mary travis green and more be sure to like review and subscribe for future and previous episodes wherever you listen to podcasts
1: mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the mccrispy juicy fried chicken buttery bun unmatched pickle to chicken ratio yeah they know what they're doing
0: Without further ado, welcome to Radio 1's For the Culture Podcast,
2: the history of gospel music. Welcome to Radio 1's For the Culture Podcast, the history of black music. I am one of your hosts, Melissa Wade, Wade in the Water. I've been doing radio uh, for some 20 years now, most of it, doing gospel radio. I'm from Rougemont, North Carolina, Durham County, so to speak. Uh, It's kind of what John P. Key says, outside the county line. It's, it's the same place, believe it or not. His sister and my sister were best friends in, in high school. Well, I, I grew up in a Christian household where my dad sang quartet every Sunday, sun up to sun down. We went to church, to church, to church all day long. So uh, it definitely became a fiber in in my being and knowing all the songs and singing all the songs, because as my sisters and I grew up, we became my daddy's background. So knowing and living and being in gospel music, needless to say, I know just a little bit. So I'm glad to be here with you.
0: I am so loving that. And I'm loving to hear about all the things that you went through just growing up. My name is (laughs) Sheila Bell. They call me The Bell. And I am here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm the midday personality for Praise 104.7. And I have been doing radio for more than a minute. But I like to take a little bit like Melissa was talking about when I was growing up. When I was growing up, my dad used to play the piano with the front door open and people who would walk by on the sidewalk would always say, hey, Mr. Bell is playing the piano. And that was usually in the afternoon. So sometimes when people wanted to hear a little something upbeat, they would just walk past our house. And I was one of the kids. My dad wasn't a pastor, but we were heavily involved in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. And then when you want to hang out at church and you stop pilling around on the piano. I used to play the piano after service, you know, after church service when everybody would gather around the piano and somebody had to have the extra beat. And for me, it's like, wasn't a lot of black people in the church where I was attending, but I couldn't help the rhythm that I had. So I started to learn how to play a little bit of the piano on top of playing the organ, on top of playing the tambourine. And we started having church afterwards. So I kind of feel like Melissa, I grew up knowing about Christian music, Then gospel music. And then I started jumping into traditional gospel when understanding the GMWA that we'll get into that. But when it comes to gospel music, I know a little bit about it as well, too. We'll see how much those we continue to talk. Mel, you got it.
3: Indeed, we're going to continue to talk because this subject is so vast. Uh, First off, I'm Melanie Pratt. I am midday host on PraiseCharlotte.com or Praise Charlotte, I should say. Praise 100.9 in Charlotte. And uh, my history with gospel started just like these ladies. Well, it was in church. Started singing in the children's choir, learned a lot of songs, played a little piano along the way. Not very good at all, but... (laughs) singing and somewhere along the way really got into community choirs spent a few years in the washington dc area singing with the late great donald vales uh who you might know donald vales and the corolliers and then i moved to charlotte and was looking for another community choir and ended up singing with pastor john p key for a few years as a part of his community choir and then ultimately as a part of well <laughs> New life, which it's a joke here in, in the Queen City. Everybody's Pastor John P. Key. It was a great time in my life, but that led me to start a website back in the day called gospelflavor.com reporting on gospel news. And some kind of way, somebody in radio said, Hey, girl, you should do radio. And I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not doing radio. <laughs> started doing it, thought I was going to be there for three months. And here we are 15 years in, and I'm here giving you a history of gospel with (laughs) these women of gospel radio. So excited to be here. Are y'all ready to get started?
2: Let's Let's get started. Absolutely. Such a blessing.
3: Absolutely. So let me just say, first of all, we could not possibly cover all the components, all of the aspects, all of the amazing people that have contributed to the genre that we call gospel. And so for the sake of this conversation, we're going to start off um, establishing that we're going to talk more about commercial gospel, because we could go all the way back to our African roots to slavery times. Um, We really could go on for three, four or five days, but we're gonna start off. First of all, I think the first commercial aspect of gospel maybe was in the 1800s. The Fisk Jubilee Singers uh, set out on their first tour to raise money to help save Fisk University from closure. And so they toured singing and raised a lot of money. It saved the school from closing actually, Um, and then, we fast forward to the 1930s, which I think was the time where everybody might identify as uh, the father of gospel, Thomas Dorsey, created the first gospel chorus. And so we were talking about our first choir experiences and singing experiences. They just so happen to be in choirs. Thomas Dorsey is credited with creating the first gospel Chorus Sheila what have you heard about Thomas Dorsey through your travels and gospel
0: All I know is that when we think about Thomas Dorsey all of the songs that this man wrote I mean over 3000 songs and when I think about him it's so funny that we were hearing about Mom Rainey remember maul Rainey bottom yeah. he actually traveled with her on tour
3: and oh, he performed
0: with her on tour. He sure did. And yeah. it was amazing some of the things that he did and some of the things that he picked up along the way. So the influences of gospel music that we hear from him, I mean, a lot of other people got a lot of great things from him as well, including Ma Rainy Bottom.
2: <laughs> wow. It, it is amazing. Go ahead, Melissa. I, I was going to say it's amazing. I, I knew about that too, Sheila. And uh, for this man to have one of the most amazing songs in gospel period, just in Christian music, take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me on. Every, any church knows every song. I mean, the, it's the number one hymnal, and I believe every funeral, and to know where it came from, from you know the sadness of where he was in making that song and God giving him the words to, to minister not only to him in the loss of his wife and his child during childbirth, but to minister to, to those generations on and on and on. Because that song, if anybody sings it and sings it the right way, it's gonna touch you no
0: matter what. Isn't it amazing, though, when you think about Thomas Dorsey, and we haven't gotten to James Cleveland, but the brothers and sisters back in the day, when they would write the music that they wrote, that music still stands strong today. It still resonates. And you hear people who will say, you know, this is good, but I want to hear some old school gospel. Give me some traditional gospel. Because when you're listening to the lyrics, each word means something. Each word stands for something. And those are the songs when you're going through that you want to hear. Those are often the songs that you just want to stop and just pray over. And you can get your praise on all by yourself, you God and Mr. Thomas Dorsey and all the music that he wrote. But it's amazing when you think about them and the rich history that they brought us and that it continues to bring us and how even the new people, the young people, the independent artists now, while they still have their own way about singing, they're still pulling from the brothers and sisters like Thomas and James from back in the day. And a lot of their music, a lot of those ingredients are often sprinkled into what they're doing now.
3: One I know Thomas Dorsey was criticized early on because he brought elements of blues into the sacred music, yes. and you know it's <laughs> funny we're still having this debate today. And it was very difficult for him early on to sell it, if you will, because uh, he was he, his partner was Sally Martin. I don't know if y'all knew that, but he began to make copies of his songs written copies of the music and tried to sell them through the mail. Cause of course there was no internet back in the wow. day. And ironically, because just as today, because a lot of black church musicians played by ear and didn't read the music, it didn't sell very well. So, he got together a group of singers who would personalize songs to the sensibilities and the stylings of each particular congregation because we know your church is different than my church, right? Yes. (laughs) And he began the practice of demonstrating choir music to choir directors. And so, this actually proved to be the marketing technique that worked the best for, for Thomas Dorsey and actually started to sell music throughout Chicago and throughout America. And people started singing Thomas Dorsey songs. Of course, ultimately he would go on to co-found the National Convention of Gospel Choirs and Choruses, um, which exists still today. This it does,
2: yeah.
3: ...of that. It was amazing. So then, that was the 1930s, we, and in between there, there's, there's so much. Did you have something to add?
0: (laughs) I'm just, let's hear what you're saying. It's so much like it could take days, but let's just keep flowing. Yes.
3: Rosetta Tharp came about in the, in the late thirties and she scored the first million selling gospel record with the hit single, this train. I don't know if you, I I realized that she had success. I didn't know that she sold a million records. That's That's crazy.
0: Back in that day too. Yes.
3: Absolutely. Yes. Of course, she brought on the advent of the guitar licks because she played the guitar. (laughs) Right. Then there was the 1940s, 1945 through about 65, and they refer to that as the golden age of gospel, Um, and it was dominated by people like Mahalia Jackson. Um, and then, kind of the quartets, you know, uh, the gospel harmonettes, the Swan Silvertones, the Caravan, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the Five Blind Boys of
2: Alabama, the Mississippi.
3: yeah. That was a very, very interesting era. I know somewhere in there, Sam Smith had to had to be in there because uh, uh, I'm sorry, Sam Cook. I, I'm in the wrong era.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. yes, yeah, Sam Cook.
3: Sam, Sam Cook. Of course, we just watched the the documentary, but. All of the male quartets kind of came on the forefront. I love me a good quartet. How about you, Melissa?
2: Girl, I told you, I've I've been listening to quartets for ages. I grew up, my dad sang everything from the top all the way down to the bass. And I think different quartets wanted him. And that's what I love. Quartets are so colorful. And, you know, I, I know that transition during that time was, you know, you mentioned Sam Cooke and that whole era of being secular music. Well, this whole transition of of, uh, quartet kind of gave, gave the men an ability to sing gospel, but for it to kind of sound like what the secular people were doing, but at the same time able to bring in, you know, that kind of sound, that kind of beat, that kind of colorfulness into the church. And so, you know, these quartets back in the thirties and forties kind of ushered that in. And we had the ability to hear this kind of same move that secular music was doing, but yet in the church, in our own music, with our own word, you know, as far as ministry was concerned.
3: Absolutely. Oh, wow. And the the harmonies, ridiculous.
2: <laughs> ridiculous. Yes, yes.
0: When I think about the harmonies, when I think about the quartets, you gotta remember the caravans. I mean all of them let's 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 Dorothy Norwood and Shirley Caesar Inez and Andrews and Bessie I mean when when they all came together they were so strong individually and just to see them all coming together and even when the caravan started and when they pulled up young Shirley Caesar to become a part of that and her strong voice with her short little self just basically took over she was such a little powerhouse and what's so amazing they sung together so long but then many of them continued to do their own thing and still had a strong voice in their own right. And look at Shirley Caesar. It's 2021 and she's still singing strong. She's still putting out music and she's preaching and she's still mentoring young people who are coming up. And it's like the the and, and, ands, they just keep going on. Well, when I think about those young ladies and where they are, where they have gone, how they changed people's lives and looking at them now, even Dorothy Norwood, I've had, I have an event here in Richmond. It's called Gospel Fest with the Bell. And often I bring Dorothy Norwood here. So you've got all these great singers, you got your contemporary singers, you got the male singers, you got the choir. Here comes Dorothy Norwood, all of five feet, one inch. And when she comes over, she takes over the 10,000, 11,000 seat or crowd. She walks down in the crowd and people just whoosh. They come to her because of that authentic sound, that rich sound. And she is ministering in song. And you never, ever have to question. You know, sometimes we hear music. Is it gospel? Is it not gospel? You never, ever have to question of what she's singing as gospel. And it's all so strong. But it's amazing these little... Five feet, one inch women, how their voices is just, just so powerful. Shirley is short, Dorothy is short, and they are powerful. <laughs> you
2: know, Sheila, I, I love it because you know I'm here in Raleigh at the Light 103.9, and Pastor Shirley Caesar uh, lives in the same city. Okay, I, she calls me little girl all the time. I, I tell her, <laughs> "Mama Shirley's because
3: she calls everybody little, <laughs> little girl, little girl.
2: <laughs> and look, as we sit here and talk, her assistant just texted me, "Hey, Melissa, give us a call about the ad tomorrow." So you know what? She's always calling me, and and I love it. And we we actually get to, to talk um, about her past, and she always tells me back stories of her, just you know, being with the ladies and singing, and how they inspired her she had this gift. Like you said, Sheila, she has a sound. They all have a sound like nobody else. These ladies can open their mouths, and you're like, that's Dorothy Nowood. Mm-hmm. I don't think I talked Albert-
3: about Albertina Walker. Albertina yes. Walker who um, was greatly influenced by Mahalia Jackson. Um, Cause I don't know if you know Mahalia Jackson took her on the road when she was just a teenager. And then of course Albertina kept that on bringing on these other ladies as a part of the oh, caravan. Wow. So it really, really was a thread that kept the gospel going. It's been amazing.
0: You know one of the famous lines by Albertina Walker it wasn't her singing but anytime you would find her in a crowd at the convention the GMWA and if there was something that was going on and people wanted to know about it you would always hear Albertina Walker say tell it tell it <laughs> <Talent>. <laughs> would tell it tell it
3: <laughs> that is so true i remember that and it's amazing that we lived we've lived time that's amazing
2: yeah and they're all known for and have such talents in storytelling, to mention talent, Sheila Bell. Those, are, those three right there are some of the best storytellers when they come to singing that they outdo everybody, even their past songs, just outdo anybody and everybody in this day.
0: That's funny that you say that when you talk about the storytelling, because all of them have some record somewhere where they're telling a story and they they take the time to walk through that story and break the story down and tell that story is Dorothy Norwood is often known as the great storyteller. So, I mean, we hear that in a lot of her songs, but so is Shirley Caesar when you hear a lot of her music. She will talk her way. I mean, think about the mule. The mule song that she sings. If you Old play played that song, that song is eight minutes and some change long. <laughs> <and> she talks, <laughs> and tells story.
3: Not gospel radio friendly in this.
0: <laughs>
3: Not in
2: this day and time. You're right, Melanie. <laughs> That's so, Love funny.
3: That. so we're talking about storytelling. That was a hallmark of the gospel music workshop of America. So maybe this is a good time to talk about. James Cleveland, of course. I mean, you cannot talk about gospel without talking about James Cleveland, who uh, went to Los Angeles in 1962. We recorded Peace Be Still in 1963. He established the Quarterstone Institutional Baptist Church on Slauson and Western in 1967. And then in 1968, established the Gospel Music Workshop of America, which was the largest music conference, I think, in the country, the world, or something ridiculous for many, many years.
0: 150 and chapters, 15,000, right? Fifty thousand members. Incredible. Wow. And
3: anybody who is anybody in gospel has come through the workshop. We had the big yes. summer conference that was a week long, and there were literally music workshops. And then on the other side, artist performances of all sorts. And everybody came out of GMWA from Clark Franklin to Pastor John P. Key to many of the contemporary artists everybody came through that conference. Sheila, I know you've been to GMWA. Tell us a little bit about this conference and its impact through James Cleveland.
0: I'm only laughing because when you say a little bit, it's like, now this could go on for a week, this conversation (laughs) with the Gospel Music Workshop of America. And let us not forget, while James Cleveland is credited with founding it, Albertina Walker was also written down as the co-founder of the DMWA as well. But when you think about the Gospel Music Workshop of America, if you've ever been, you're going to smile like we are too because the history is so rich. It is a basically week-long conference that starts from the time you land in whatever city it is for that year until the time you get back on the plane and leave. And from your workshops in the mornings to the classes in the afternoons to wherever it is that you have lunch or the special uh, sponsored lunches that you would have, and then you would have have your nightly services, and then you would have the midnight musicals. Oh, <laughs> when we talk about the midnight musicals, <laughs> they are not playing. They started at midnight, and the joke was, you want to go to everything, you don't want to miss anything, but there's a certain way to attend after you're up at seven o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, and to be at the twelve midnight musical, you do it in style. You come in there looking fine and fierce, but there's a professional way of sleeping. So, you don't get caught on camera when people are taking your pictures. You've got to figure out how to smile and rest your eyes. Hallelujah. And when you rest your eyes, hallelujah. And when that one person hits that note, you say, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. And you wake up an hour two later. Love it. But this was the place that people came together to meet each other. We networked. We became yeah. family. We saw people grow up. We saw people get married. We saw people have oh kids along the way. And this is where you would come, to just get to know each other. But it was ch- it was such a great place just to establish friendships. I mean, people always talk about the gospel community. People want to get on the radio. People want to do this, be, do that. It is about relationships. Absolutely. And you learn that at the Gospel yeah. Music Workshop of America. I could talk for days, but I'm going to let somebody else jump in here because I know <laughs> that you guys... Are Stories jumping out. Oh Let us not even that. talk
1: about what happens in the hotels. McDonald's is not new to chicken, so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken; they're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: Woo! <laughs> oh, let, let me talk about the passing
2: that
3: goes on the week before. Because you got to get <laughs> GMWA outfits together. Like literally, we would do GMWA shopping, and you would have to pack an outfit for the morning time because there was service in the morning. Yep. Then during the day, there's kind of casual, you know, events. And then you would have to get redressed for the midnight musical. And when I tell you, like literally every artist every you did not not go to gmw gmwa back in the day and let, I, me,
0: let me ask you also something too uh, did you not shop for just gmw wear because there is regular wear at work, there's Sunday wear, but you bought <laughs> clothes specifically for, for the James Gospel Music Workshop of America. No
3: question about it. No question about it. Then on the industry side, that you know, business took place because there was the Gospel Announcers Guild, which right. was an opportunity for all the artists to present to the Gospel announcers from across the country. And it was everybody from you know, folks at Radio One to, you know, the mom and pop station and, you know, you know, wherever. And everybody was there on equal footing and wanted their record played. And this was an opportunity for people to sing. And back in, gosh, 2000, maybe, I, I had a small label and I broke JJ Harrison and youthful praise at GMWA. Wow. Every dime we had, we spent to take them to convention because we knew we didn't stand a chance at breaking the, them as an artist without bringing them to GMWA. Mm-hmm. So I've done the full spectrum from being somewhere singing in somebody's church choir to being on the industry side to being there as a radio announcer I think I've even gone with Pastor Key once or twice for something so it's really been a growing up experience and Sheila to your your point my daughter grew up <laughs> going to these conventions you know she thinks Donnie McClarkin is her uncle. <laughs> He probably
2: thinks it too, knowing Pastor Donnie. He
3: absolutely does. He absolutely does. Melissa, what's your GMWA experience?
2: You know, mine more so is just kind of being starstruck. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, okay? Um, I was my first GMWA experience, I was young and I went with, I was living in Pittsburgh at the time and I went with my church choir and there was just so much talent. Just learning we all again, like y'all said, we dressed the same, we all wore the same shirts because you know we were the choir that came from Pittsburgh. and it was just so um, it was just so compelling to see the amount of talent that was there. I felt like I just couldn't learn enough. Just from, you know, people you didn't know, they would open their mouths and they would lead a song. Or I was part of the alto section. So I felt like I was famous as well. So the GMWA not only nurtured what you had, but it made you feel like, you know what, you can be this too. And so that's what I appreciated about the GMWA is that, you know, from all walks of life, everybody coming from everywhere else, you left feeling like I've learned something that I can take to my church and we can go even higher.
0: You're kind of oh, yeah. mentioning like the banner says, everybody is somebody. Well, we see that banner every year that yes. we come. And I'll tell you one one great thing about the GMWA, because they always had their board meetings or even, even their summer conventions in different cities, it allowed people to see so many different parts of the country where they probably would not have gone before. Because when you go to these conventions, you're in safe space with different people. So when you think about going to Las Vegas or California or Florida or Tampa or Chicago or Ohio, it's like different places that you've gone that you never would have gone before and when you think about your timeline and going to the GMWA real quick my first DMWA was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I did not know too much about anything. So when I got off of the plane and I got into the little shuttle, and then I took a bus somewhere and I went somewhere and I went through something else, I came up some steps to a hotel. And when I got there, it was John P. Key. I was like you, first time yeah. seeing everybody and the background singers. And John P. Key, tell you how long ago it was, when he saw me, he picked, He picked me up. He says, welcome to GMWA. My mouth was dropped like, is this for real? (laughs) I never, ever. But what a great welcoming. And that type of energy has always followed me from from that first time there to the last time that I have attended. And it's always been a great experience. Well,
3: because that's really kind of one of the cool things is there was no segregation between the people and the artists. So you Mm -hmm. literally walked around and bumped into the who's who in gospel and has always been an, a really, really super exciting time. I don't know. I don't know. How do we stop talking about GMWA, y'all? I don't
0: know, because when you you said something really important, too. We were actually I'm able to watch the transformation of people from how they look back in the day, how they have changed over the years, and, I mean, different ways. All, all over the place. Over. But, you know, yeah. we are all getting older, but we're all getting older together and we're learning stuff together as well too. But it was, I mean, GMWA has always been a good experience with so one, many people.
3: One thing I want to share too, is that because of GMWA and because you start, pe- you know, there are people now that are major artists that at the time were, the, were a member of somebody's, you know, church choir at mm-hmm. GMWA. Yeah. And because you grow with people and go through that evolution with them, you are family. And so I, I remember one situation happened in the com- in the gospel community and they wanted me to report on it <laughs> on the air. And I was like, I am not talking about that. And they were like, well, it's news. And I was like, I am not talking about that. I'm not doing it. And so the person was saying to me, well, you know, on such and such a station, you know, we talked about, you know, when this happened to Beyonce and when this happened to so-and-so. And I said, hey, the difference between that is you are not going to i say in the grocery store, I'm going to see them. I'm going to see them. I'm going to see their mama. I know them. They know my family. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's a little different because- A loyalty. That was yeah, a loyalty. Yeah. And you, we literally become family. It's, it's I, I don't know. Okay, hey, we're going to pull off a of GMWA I, I <laughs> that. because that started in 1968, but in 1967 was kind of the advent of- the Hawkins and Andre Crouch and that whole, that's a whole other ball of wax, my goodness. A whole
0: another ball of wax. I mean, all of the Hawkins and Tremaine Hawkins and Walter Hawkins and Bishop Hawkins and the love, what is it, the Love Center Church, uh, Oakland. Yeah, I mean, the music that they, the music that they put out was so rich and it involved choir, and it involved harmony, and it involved tight harmony, and it involved people who could sing. And often we're familiar with, come on, join the choir. He was like, come on, join the choir if you can sing. Come on, join the choir, but we're gonna have some rehearsals to make sure that we're on point. When I think about the Hawkins, I always think about excellence. When I think about the song, this is it because that's a great video as well that I've seen and I've heard. But this is it—that song that the Hawkins sing—and it's. I just I love the Hawkins. I'm a Hawkins fan. I'm a you Hawkins know,
2: fan. I, I, I'm with you, and I remember the era of uh, the transition, the evolution, so to speak, from there to the Hawkins. And when Edwin Hawkins and the, and the crew came out with "Oh Happy Day." Ooh oh happy day it went from and y'all have to understand I'm, I'm from the country as i said outside the county line and church choirs were supposed to have on a robe you only moved up, you know no more than you know maybe five inches from side to side if you move that much <laughs> because otherwise you're known as dancing oh happy day came out they had the choir like you said sheila the the harmonies were excellent and they were grooving they were rocking from side to side and oh my goodness Everyone, were you know, in the church, had to accept it because, you know, their first thought was, "Oh my goodness, they're going to go to a T devil." Double- L. So, yeah. you know, this is what's going to happen. This is okay, what's going to happen. Je- Jesus is yet to come tomorrow because all
3: happy day has yet this see you. Melissa, you but, can say the word now. you grown. It's okay. I,
2: you know, I, I, I didn't know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a Christian podcast. Like, oh, Lord, my baby's listening. I Melissa, let me
0: share something with you guys. Oh Happy Day is such a popular song. When many of the gospel choirs that we know and groups that go overseas to Europe and Germany and when they perform over there, you can sing any gospel song under the world under under the sun and everybody loves it. But You have to sing Oh Happy Day. If you don't sing Oh Happy Day, then you have not done them right. You have not done the U.S. right. You have not done the gospel community right. You have to sing Oh Happy Day. I mean, to this day, there are tours. Many artists that I know who travel over there yearly, and the song that they have to sing is Oh, Happy Day. If you don't sing that, there's a problem. So when you think about just some of these signature song and anchor songs like Oh, Happy Day, it continues to resonate. Like I was saying before, when you think about these artists who are who started back in the day, their music is so rich and we continue to hear it. We continue to sing it and everybody knows the words to it.
3: Absolutely. And during the same time that we're talking 70s, moving into the 80s was the advent of the Winans the clark sisters uh eventually commissioned i mean that then bb and cc like that whole thing it's funny how every every it felt like each time like i you know melissa you were talking about when oh happy day came out i remember when the Winans record came out like we were like we were like well, what what manner of, what is this <laughs> like what is this and the harmonies were not new but the melodies were fresh. The Clark sisters, of course, the way that they wove their vo- their voices amongst each other and uh, just absolutely groundbreaking for the time. When
0: absolutely. I think about the ends, I think about BB and Cece when they started on the Jim and Tammy Baker show. And that was T-T-L. way back in the day on Sunday hey, on mornings where we would watch them singing and we were waiting for BB and CC Winans to sing. But when they finally took off and they became BB and CC and then the Winans, it's like all of the Winans is like, I think at one time, they may still be recognized as one of the first families of gospel music because they were all rich in what they had to deliver. I would love to hear Pop Winans sing, and he would always sing about the gospel train. Mom Winans can sing. I loved even to hear the Winans. And then it was the three, the th- the, th- the three, the three brothers, the Winans. Marvin Carvin. Right, right. Those three. And, and Michael, then when their yeah. kids started singing music, it's like all of them are rich. And then Debbie. Uh, Debbie, Debbie, and her sister were singing.
3: Them are rich. <laughs> huh? You said all of them are rich.
0: <laughs> no, with their music, their music no, is so no,
2: rich. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They probably made some money too. And made a little run too. Yeah, but when I think about them, though, I just, I just love their music. But that song by Debbie and her sister, I love that song that they made. That's so pretty.
2: You know, one yeah. thing that always made me laugh about the Winans, BB and CC specifically, is um, especially when I first started gospel music. A lot of people thought that BB and CC were husband and wife, and it, and when I would say, you know, that's brother oh, wow. and sister team, BB and CC Winans, they were like, "You mean they're not married?" I'm like, "No, they're no, they're not. You know, like Tremaine and Edwin, they're, they're not married. Um, Tremaine and Walter, but." Um, that was one of the things that a lot of people thought that they were husband and wife because they both had the last name. But like you said, everyone in that family, I asked them uh, during, I think I asked CC during an interview one time, I said, is there anybody in your family that can't sing? Hmm. And and I'm not sure she really gave me a name. I don't think that there (laughs) is. (laughs) So that rich sound, Sheila, I I totally agree with you. And, uh, BB and CC alone, brought a new sound to gospel music as well, because uh, their sound were kind of like, you know, and I understand why people thought they were married, because it was a lot of love, you know, Lord, we love you, you know, um, right. I'm lost without you, heaven, I'll, I'll take you there, you know, it was kind of a that if anything ever happens to you, and so, you know, in many forms, they were like, you know, it's a love song to God, but maybe they're ta- singing to each other, but that was that kind of first of not necessarily you know, that whole exaltation, but we are singing a love song unto God.
0: And We because saw a lot of chemistry between them as well when they were singing. When we think about the yeah. Clark sisters, when we think about the Clark sisters, I mean, that whole story with Twinkie and Karen and Dorinda and Jackie, I mean, all of them, how rich it was then, but even to the point now that with uh, Holly Carter and Relevate Entertainment, how they pull that movie together to tell Ooh. their story, now people are seeing and they're seeing what we grew up with, what we've heard along the way, but they were a- are able to see it for themselves, and that story is so powerful to the point now you think about gospel artists that we're doing so well now that their life has been turned into a movie that people want to see and that we want to see it again. And then the actresses that they got to play these roles. I mean, this says a lot about how gospel music has grown to the fact that there's such a respect level there that we want to put this on the bigger screen.
3: Absolutely. And from an artistic standpoint, the Winans, the Clark sisters changed the way people recorded. Um, Fred Hammond will tell you to this day, that a lot of the way that commissioned recorded their vocals by bringing the backgrounds forward, that wasn't something that people did. It was always a background and a lead and right. the way that the Clark sisters brought everything forward. That was why commission brought everything forward. And it was, it was, it was the beginning or or the continuation of a sound that would impact a, an entire other generation because from there, yeah, let's talk about commissioned, which then went into, an era of, you know, the 80s and the 90s, which included Fred Hammond, Pastor John P. Key, Yolanda Adams, uh, and then just so amazing, amazing artists out of, I think maybe that might be my favorite era of gospel, maybe because, because of the age I was, which I will not share on this (laughs) podcast. I share that same era, Melody. I share that
2: same era. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That was a good, that was a good era, y'all. Yeah. You had Donnie McClurkin who just rose up. And then of course, you know, you mentioned commission and that branched off with Fred Hammond doing his solo, Bishop Marvin Sapp. And they had so many, even Keith Staten, I believe, you know, for a while there. I mean, they had so much talent there in commission. So when they broke off, like you said, in the eighties, we had so much music, including, like you said, Yolanda Adams, Bishop Hezekiah Walker. This just goes on Donald Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers. There was so much talent during that time. Um, And and a lot of this, as we go back to the GMWA, a lot of these artists came from that as well. So like you said, we as a, um, a, a gospel industry, as a gospel family, as a musical family, grew up together, watching these artists grow up and
0: become what they are and giving us the music that they have the talent for. Melissa, you threw something out there too, because you talked about them coming from Detroit, yeah. We've been talking about a lot of the artists also coming out of Chicago. Yeah. Then we've been talking about a lot of them coming out of Los Angeles. So what is the true birthplace of gospel music? Oh, I'm hmm. not touching that. I'm not
3: touching that <laughs> with a tan. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm, honey, <laughs> Sheila, you are not going <laughs> to trouble. It
0: makes you think about, about that, I, though,
3: right? No, nice. I, look, I was about to talk about something lighter. I was going to say everybody had a crush on somebody in commission, and I was going to ask you who you had your crush on. But yeah. since they're all <sighs> women, of- and they are all men that are married and grown, we will skip that topic too. But then-
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, can you <laughs> tell us so if you had a crush on,
3: Mel? You know what? I, it's just funny. I think it was just—I I don't know—that I had a crush on any one person. It was just they were young guys, you know, and it was like that was really kind of the first time we had seen that or I had seen that. And it was just it was intriguing. You know, they were cool. Like I remember Fred telling me the story that they had um, they had put their son and stuff and taken the pictures for one of the projects, one of the first projects. And then um, at some point they had changed into their jeans for some other reason. And somebody had taken some pictures. And when they went back. They said, well, we want the picture in the jeans. And that was like unheard of. They were like, oh, no, are no, you not? No, you're not going to do that. And they did. And that was kind of a big deal at the time. So I think it was the wow. first time that as a young person, I'm telling my age anyway. Lord, have mercy. As a young person, it was the first time that that you know I had really, really seen that.
2: <laughs> Melanie, I'm going to go with you because I was in high school. It was one of my m- first major concerts the the auditorium was full of nothing but young people and on the stage were these men these six young men and it was just absolutely wonderful i have to go with you sheila yeah the crushes were there because they were good looking men. <laughs> you know Fred was the coolest one because he was at the end with the guitar and his, yes. his voice was just mesmerizing but he was just so cool with the guitar and i was like I just love them. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah! So what was your favorite
0: song by the um, commission? What was your favorite song?
2: Oh, ordinary.
3: Yes,
0: ordinary. Yeah. Just modern, <laughs> or just wa-
2: yes, that was my favorite. <laughs> There's so many. There is.
3: And What was that? Eleven, maybe. I like I was a schoolgirl all over again, screaming in you know like a crazy person. I want to like before we get too far. I wonder in 1993 something major happened. Uh, Gospel Centric was started by Vicky Uh, Mack and Claude, and uh, the story goes that they started with a six thousand dollar loan from her father's pension, Mm -hmm. and their most notable signing was Kirk Kirk Franklin. Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Who was a product of GMWA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting.
0: Do you remember how this story went? Because Daryl Coley said that he was talking to uh, Vicki Mack and had the tape that Kirk Franklin was on, like a cassette tape and gave the tape to Vicki Mack to actually hear. And when she heard it, that's when this whole story started to unfold with Kirk Franklin. And then all the other talent that fell under the umbrella of gospel centric and then be right. It's amazing.
3: Yeah, wow. it really, really is fantastic. And then, of course, from Gospel Centric, we also got—I um, think—Kurt Carr started there. Trinity Five Be- Seven, Iron, Iron Cage. Iron Cage, and Natalie Wilson. My goodness, so many—I I don't want to Gospel her Gangsters. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I've got to pause here because I did have a crush on one person. Oh. In, in the Gospel Gangsters. <laughs> Sheila, go ahead. that's the Tell end of some... that story. <laughs> Tell us what you're
2: really about, Sheila. Come on. <laughs> that
0: was a crush. That was a crush from a distance. That was it. It's like, oh, okay.
3: <laughs> you went' not bump into him at GMWA?
0: I saw him one time. And after I saw what was going on, I said, okay, crush is over. Moving right along. <laughs> okay. No
2: bad boy of for you. No bad boy of
0: gossip.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So much. Y'all, it's like, so now we're at really... John P. Key. That, yeah. That, I mean, that, now this is what, now this is the funny part. That's what we defined as contemporary gospel, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, it was Clark Sisters, Winans, B.B. and C.C. Kirk, Yolanda, Donnie, Commissioned Witness, Vicki Winans, you know, uh, did we say it Esther Key, Vanessa Bell Armstrong, and so many others. Yeah. And now there is yet another, there's been several iterations israel and new breed that was the whole thing
2: <laughs> yes
3: the praise and worship i think we're kind of in the middle of the praise and worship <laughs> focused thing what would y'all call what, what would you define this era Where
0: well, we are know? now yeah <laughs> we're still defining it because yeah. it seems like the, the music is still changing it's, it's becoming more contemporary it's becoming more millennial-ish it's becoming more of do your own thing. But right. people are still worshiping the way that they want to worship. But because also, even now so, because we're not in the church, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, people are really individualizing their own styles and how they see it. So it's no longer really gospel in a box, but it's truly their own style. And it's going kind of different places, but they're still ministering. They're making sure that their lyrics are touching and changing lives because people are living lives differently. People are going to church differently. They're hearing the word differently, so you've got to minister to people where they are. And the music now is really just meeting people where they are, in my little opinion. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: kind of a right. prophetic ministry, so to speak. They're they're taking the prophetic into and, and bringing the music of you know the prophecies of that's that's there, the actual word of the Bible instead of talking about God. They're taking the words from that's within uh, what we are learning uh, within the ministry within the Bible itself and making songs. And I know Israel was one of those artists that. Does that still does that and did that very well, uh, bringing it to the gospel music industry. I yeah, agree I with know.
3: you. That's know. funny. I was talking to uh, Dietrich Haddon the other day, and I was saying when we started, you know, I said, you know, you were Dietrich, and y'all were Jason and Travis and Smokey, and now you all are Pastor Travis, Pastor yes. Jason. That's <laughs> right. You That's know, right. You know, Pastor Absolutely. Smokey, and and so many others, and. It really is, a you know, evolution is what does what it does. It keeps it keeps moving. And so maybe we'll have to do a follow up podcast because I don't even want to start naming <laughs> <laughs> today. Our stars of today, because that is that is a whole other ball of wax.
0: <laughs> it really is. I I really though, commend our artists, those who have become pastors, because it's such a responsibility. As the world continues to change and how social media has so many people stuck on them instead of more so stuck on getting to know God, that we really have to get the focus back on bringing lost souls to Christ, getting connected with God, and getting more so in the Word. And those brothers and sisters who are singing. Who are also ministering, they understand that responsibility of making sure that they continue to grow in God. And a lot of us have become so, so content with where we are and forgetting about the importance of growing in the word, being close to God, connecting with God, praying to God, because a lot of us also have forgotten about church. Some of us are watching it online. Some of us don't even watch it online anymore. Some of us have said, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. But that says a lot about where we are and our young people, where they are and where they're going and where is the leadership with the church. So I really commend those who are really doing their due diligence to help those in music and song and in the pulpit and those artists who are singing and singing their hearts out, trying to make sure that what God has given them resonates when they're pushing out their music, because we we are the gatekeepers of helping those to make sure that they are being introduced to God and keeping that relationship strong with God.
3: Yeah, and I like to say, I know we're we're about to close, but I always like to say that the the methodology changes, but the message doesn't. And so it's really interesting to see how God has kept gospel music uh, mm-hmm. throughout the years, through its you know varying forms and its evolution, you know from. You know, solo music to quartet to choirs to, you know, lead female vocal to, you know, trap gospel we have now, um, Holy hop, right,
0: <laughs> all, all
3: of those things. But at the core of it, um, you know, I'm really excited and I'm really committed to what we do because of the message. It's been amazing, y'all.
0: This and has been fun. It's been a
2: ball. As they say, the messenger may change, but the message stays. The same, and yeah. so has this transition through gospel music, ladies. It's been wonderful hanging out with you, and and looking forward to maybe next time. You know, we'll yes,
0: do that would be great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening right now. Thank you for joining us for Radio One's for the Cultural Podcast: The History of Black Music. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe for future and previous episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Grace and peace, y'all.